Ah, kia ora tātou. Atuhia ki te rangituhia ki te whenua tuhia ki te ngāko ngā tangata katoa. Ko te mea nui, ko te aroha tihei, mauri ora. Uh, tuatahi ake ki tō tātou kingi o ngā kingi ko iu kuraiti. Um, e pā, uh, tēnei mātou pononga. Um, e whakawhetai atu ana ki a koe. Um, ko koe te tumana ko te whenua, te tumana ko te tangata. Uh, tūrua ki te whare e tūnei me te papa e takoto nei tēnā kōrua. Uh, Tuatoru, uh, ki ngā mate, ko whetirangatea ki te pō, haere, haere, haere atu rā. Uh, Tuawha, uh, tau mai te rire kurungi te whare kāhuia riki o tira ki ngā ki a, uh, kingi tūheitia rire, rire, hau paimari re. Uh, e mihi ana ki a koutou katoa, ko tau mai tātou ki te uh, whakamoemeti atu ki tō tātou kingi, uh, ki te kōrero rero e pāna te uh, rongo pai o te whenua nei. Um, ko wai e tuake nei, uh, ko Aaron tōku ingoa, i tipuaki au ki Papaioia, Palmerston North, um, uh, i mārina te tahiuri o Ngāti Mahanga, uh, ko te ata tōna ingoa, um, ka puta ki waho a maua tamariki, um, ko tākiri ko te atua, uh, te mātāmua, ko Hawaiki, te wainga, um, ko um, te aio, te pōtiki. Nō reira. This is me. Kia ora everybody, my name's Aaron. I uh, have uh, three children under the age of four. So when I stand up here, I'm often like, oh, yep, that's a handprint. Uh, yep, that's another handprint. And uh, I'm at that stage where I just love sleep and can't find any of it. Um, but hey, it's a privilege to be here with you guys. I uh, am part of a crew that leads Tirotini. Um, we sort of uh, lead as a team, um, that's kind of been our sort of journey, uh, and it's been a privilege uh, to do it. Twelve years of a whole lot of mistakes and some good decisions along the way, All right? Uh, privilege to be here uh, with you and, and your community, your Pastor Ants and Poro, and um, just with all that's going on here, uh, it's always an honor to be invited to a church in the same location, uh, because what it says is that we're not in competition Right, which is kind of like we all know that, right? And we, and it's, I think there's another generation coming through that deeply understand that too. But it's my privilege to be here. And if you, at the end of what I say, like, man, that was awesome, I might come and check Tirotini out. Don't, um, we're not that awesome. Um, it's probably way cooler here. And um, yeah. Uh, also, at the end of this, you might have the opposite reaction of going, I really didn't like that. Um, don't send me any complaint emails because I won't respond to any of them. Kafai. Um, the good thing about this is that you just get to go home, and I won't be here next week, so it's all good. <laughs> just breathe, people. Um, so we're going to have a conversation, uh, and, and hopefully my task this morning is to participate in the telling of truth. And often I think we come to church ready for our dopamine hit, right? I need to feel so flippin' good about my life in order for me to live out the next seven days. And, and hear me out, I love it when this gathering in this space, that hope enters our hearts and our minds, but hope is not always this dopamine hit of this feeling of um, abundant happiness. Sometimes hope is also the hard and difficult uh, truth-telling and confrontation of truth that hits us when we go, that's hard, but that's true, right? Uh, someone said that uh, the truth sets us free. He was really important. I can't quite remember his name. You might remember him. Another person said that uh, the truth 
uh, will set you free. However, first it will annoy you. They used more explicit language. And uh, so we're going to hopefully dive into some of that. With the end goal in this, it was trying to figure out how do we be here? Does our context matter? Does the land beneath our feet matter? Does the story that pre-existed us matter? Uh, we often have loved to use scripture like that Paul used in terms of, I forget what is behind and I move on. We've heard that, right? Well, the context of that scripture was actually about him leaving his sort of fame and his life as a Pharisee leader with uh, significant influence and voice. So you, you, we've, we've used these scriptures out of context to avoid the conversation that is before us. Other, con, other scriptures like there is now neither no Jew nor Gentile, you know, that's another great one that we love to use to erode any sense of God's design of culture and make us all one in the name of Eurocentricity. Never God's plan, never God's design, right? So this is the start. So I thought I'd just, this is who I am. This is the message that I carry in my spirit. My desire is that if you are Samoan and you come to church and you do not end up more Samoan as a result of your relationship with Jesus, you have not encountered Jesus. You've encountered some version of colonization that has crept in and masqueraded in Jesus' name. My desire is that if you're Māori and you come to Jesus, that you become more Māori. That if you're Scottish, that which is me, Scottish, that you become more of that version of yourself. Because Jesus is interested in your design. That when we get to heaven, we don't blend into Father Christmas, which is often our vision of Jesus, Right? We don't blend into a version of ourselves that we were never designed to be. It says in Revelation that every tribe and tongue will be present, right? Which means that our context matters, our location matters, the stories that Jesus has already been breathing in the midst of us, it deeply matters. Are you with me? Good. So we, we live in a, a profoundly prophetic nation. Uh, one of the, the key people I think about in the midst of this. Now, hear me out. As a, a Pākehā person telling a whole lot of Māori stories, I, I have to put that out there before that they're always going to be a far more surface version of the depths and the reality and the mātauranga that sits behind them. But the only reason I tell them, and I tell them with uh, permissions, is to help give us some level of context of that God was always at work in Aotearoa. And often our uh, colonial idea of missions is that we take Jesus like a present and we give it to someone. Here's Jesus. And yet, it says in Scripture that we were made in the image of God, meaning that the very DNA of Jesus is alive in people's reality. And so maybe the indigenous way of helping people understand who Jesus is is to help them understand who they are Serving them and going, there is a God who made you, who designed you, who thought about your tribe, your tongue, your culture, your tikanga, your all of that. Let me serve you and love you in a way that allows that to flourish. It's quite different, eh? As opposed to, here's Jesus, change your life. This one says, he made you as you are. So much of even the way that you think, your thought patterns, all of these things, the way that you understand the, the, the water, the creation around you, all of it. Now, Himia, I understand that when uh, culture and humanity and all that collide, we, do, we don't always get absolute perfection, right? But the way that the church has treated culture is that it is primarily devilish versus primarily divine. So we've called something that's been created as wrong as opposed to something that is created, right? Kapoi. Some of you are like, man, I can't wait for this to finish. 
this is not what I signed up for. Where's the altar call? I just want to feel good about my life. If you've ever done Strength Finder, I have um, restorative on Strength Finder, which means that I just delight in seeing things that are broken. And so um, at the end of this, you might be like, oh, man. <laughs> it's all good, though. So every nation has a story, has a distinct shape to their being. In Aotearoa, land of the long white cloud, there, there is a prophetic mandate that sits in this land. And uh, we hear it um, from Toiro Ikariki from Mahia at the East Coast, and before anyone ever settled here in Aotearoa, this guy, he has these visions of this incoming people. He starts weaving flat pants that he's never seen before. He starts weaving hats and all of these other things. He gets the muscle shell, and I presume he definitely eats the muscle, and then he fills it up with soil, gets little sticks from the flame, puts them inside the, the soil, standing up, blows out the flame to imitate steamboat ships, things that he's never seen before. And he, he, he goes on to say that uh, there's this son who's coming, a God who's coming who's whose son was killed, basically. He goes, and he, he goes on to talk about this idea that uh, this God would be a good God, however, the people would remain oppressed. And that is primarily our story. That God, uh, present, uh, I believe that all indigenous peoples have a revelation of God, and then what happened along the way is that the revelation of Jesus enters into that story, right? That's primarily what I read when I read um, story and across race and culture. There's some amazing revelations within there. But I began to ask this question maybe 15 years ago of like, what does it mean to be here? I lived in uh, Burundi and Congo in Africa for a year. Like, so before I even say anything, my heart's posture is that every tribe and every tongue, every tongue would be fully alive. That's my whole desire for diving into context, into the Maori world and into story in order to tell the truth. Because I have a deep longing for us to be more than just a photocopied version of Europe or America or Australia, wherever we go, and calling that the kingdom of God. So I'm in Africa. I'm Real pumped to go to church because I just think, wow, there's going to be 7,000 people there singing their own songs. Like, I just can't wait. I get there, and the flippin' song they sing first is Shout to the Lord, an Australian song. I just traveled thousands of miles across the world to listen to an Australian song. Great song, don't get me wrong. But you know what happens? They sing this song. They're all in suits. That's another conversation. They're all in suits singing this Australian song. And there's this side-to-side shuffle that's going on. I'm like, they're even dancing like my people. Like, there's just this side-to-side shuffle that's happening. And then after that, and I apologize if you've heard these stories, but they're, they're important for framing how I think about all of this. After that, I come out, and uh, uh, the worship leader sings, and people start running up and down the aisles, like booty shaking, clothes is flying off. And I'm like, well, this is two different versions of a people before my eyes. One that happens when they engage with the context and the story and the culture of themselves. And what happens when they uh, were imitating something which they are not? The suit jackets, the side-to-side shuffle, the language that isn't even theirs and most of them can't even speak. What happens when they sing their own language, their own revelation, their own context? The suit jacket comes off. 
The dancing starts. The joy starts, right? Now, what do I think about that? I think that our missional story is filled with profound intent. But profoundly good intent is not enough for us to not tell the truth. It's not enough for us to go, but they tried their best, right? See, uh, Jesus created us in his image. And then what happened is that so many of our missional endeavors created other people in their own image, right? As opposed to going, let's see what the Lord is doing here. Let's serve what the Lord is doing here. We have another story. And what is our story here in Aotearoa? See, it happens when the All Blacks do the haka and everyone's like, yeah, I'm from New Zealand, right? And it's been, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? And then you, you go to England and, you know, all these young 20-something-year-olds are on the glug all weekend and what do, you, what do they do to signify that they're from Aotearoa? They start doing the haka, even though half of them probably fuck a papa to exactly where, they were, where they're standing in England, you know, this is where I'm from and... God's like, that's actually where you're from right there. Your uncle's from around the corner in Derbyshire or whatever it is. We have this sense of deep pride when these things come out, but when it pushes beyond a haka into our systemic problems, we get really uncomfortable, don't we? We, we want to, it's just about the kingdom of God. It's just about, we, we, you're overcomplicating it. You're making it this and you're making it that. And it's often... The ones that are like me, and, and I have no issue with um, truth-telling and telling the history for my own people, because I think there's liberty at the other end of it. And, you know, I've been reading about trauma. Now, there is uh, levels of trauma. There's complex PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is often uh, present in the midst of indigenous people. That is because of ongoing. So it's a trauma received and then ongoing trauma that goes over and over and over again. It's called complex PTSD. The great-grandchildren of the Holocaust survivors were 300% more likely to be present with child psychologists than those that were not. Great-grandchildren, trauma passed along. That's complex. Now, because it's complex because the oppression has continued in different forms. But... We are not talking about one traumatized people. We are talking about many traumatized people. Because in the act of when people come back from war, they're often traumatized, aren't they? Why are they traumatized? Because they have committed a brutal act, they've murdered, they've done something of the like. And they then have to live with that trauma, trying to figure that out. Now, we have that same situation in Aotearoa, where we have... A trauma, a trauma of those that have been oppressed, and we have a trauma that's passed on of those that have oppressed. And we haven't understood how to language it and how to talk about it, and instead we've just gone, let's just make it about Jesus, while people are still suffering, longing for their voice to be heard and, and understood. And the further we dug into the soil, we began to hear about people like King Tafio, no Kornei, um, Ratana, Tefiti, and Tohu, Te Manihira, and Kiriopa, Te Koti, and all these people who had these profound revelations of God and these profound interactions with God. We think about Ratana, who uh, a whale beached in front of him, and to remove all of the context from that story, it was that moment of his interpretation that allowed him to go, yeah, well, I think Jesus is real. Right? 
so you hear that and you go, how does that work? There was a whole worldview that is operating that God is engaging with the entirety of the time. Walter Brueggemann says that the task, a task of the prophet is to help people re-engage with history and story. And we've become so disconnected from the story of this land, from the hurt, the betrayal, and where the church has been in the middle of it, to be honest. But that response has destabilized us. It's left us in some level of rejection. It's left us disheartened. And uh, my belief is that God is wanting to reconnect us to the pain, the hurt, and the hope so that we can rebuild our broken walls and be what we're meant to be. And Brueggemann says this, land is central, if not the central theme of biblical faith. Biblical faith is a pursuit of historical belonging that includes a sense of destiny derived from such belonging. So when you disconnect people from land, you you disconnect them from promise. When you disconnect them from promise, you disconnect them from hope, and hope deferred makes the heart sick. And what we have done to indigenous people in Jesus' name is said, move on in Jesus' name. We have not addressed the old wounds of a disconnected people who are primarily in their disconnection in part because of the role of the church as well. There's a difficult story to swallow, right? And we go, well, it happened ages ago. I can't do anything about it now. Thank the Lord that Jesus did not have that mentality. Adam and Eve sinned. A long time later, he came back to make it right. Right? It wasn't the day after, a long time later, because he saw it important to heal that which was broken. And that was for something that he didn't even do. That was for someone else. So where is our story in the middle of this? Because my belief is that if we are part of restoring land, then we will be also part of her hope. But if we are part of ignoring land, then we might fade off into the distance as well as a remnant of what we were supposed to be heavy. We okay, people? Uh, a good friend of mine was in church. She was, uh, she's what I'd, I'd say one of the pioneers in the sort of Pentecostal charismatic movement in regards to kicking the wall down in order for Maori voice to be heard and felt and accepted. Her name's Sidi Ruakere. I don't know if anyone knows her here. Uh, but she blew a putatara, a, a conch horn type thing on one Sunday and uh, someone came up to her and said Cindy you know we're all one in Christ Jesus which is a completely out of context scripture that scripture was pointed at the Jews going hey the promise of God doesn't belong to you alone anymore it wasn't about uh, some kind of eradication of people's cultural identity because it also says you are neither male or female and I think the church might have a problem if we started saying there's no gender (laughs) right but we're quite happy to say there's no culture all right, and so in the middle of all of that, she said, but whose version are we? If we're all one, whose version of one are we? Mine or yours? Because your version looks like me shrinking. And the person awkwardly did a moonwalk out of the conversation as they realized they had not thought thoroughly <laughs> about their stance. And you know, there's the scripture that talks about we take captive every thought, right? Now, the, re- the reality is that we actually want to take captive of every thought and everything that sets itself up against the wisdom of God that's operating within us and outside of us. And unless we have some kind of historical backdrop, what do we do with that? I understand that I'm not diving de- deep into the very T's and C's of what actually happened in history. I'm giving you something of a more philosophical, a philosophical approach 
around, uh, around culture and race and how we engage with this story. But I just want to engage with the story of Nehemiah. So Israel were in, cap- were in captivity in Persia for so long that the people were losing their identity. And one of the things I might compare it to is a good friend of mine, he, uh, uh, he's an Aboriginal man. He's from the Gumbanga people. He's one of like 20 people that can speak their language left. And he taught his little girl this language. And he took his little girl to an old Komatua. And he spoke to her in the Aboriginal language. And his little girl spoke back. And the Komatua began to cry because it was the first time that he'd heard a little girl speak the language in like 20 years. A little child. Now, this is where I think that uh, Israel were on the verge of when they were in captivity. They were on the verge of breaking point, of losing their identity. Now, long story short they end up getting to this point where they're able to rebuild the walls. Uh, Miracles happen after miracles. They get land back, and they're able to re-engage in asserting their identity. Now, the first thing that they do is they bring back the Levites, right? The priests, they bring back the storytellers, and they bring back the worshipers to sing their stories. And do you know what happened when they heard their stories and the songs were sung? The people wept for days and days and days as they realize that they had forgotten who they are. And I wonder if that might be somewhere where we are in Aotearoa, where we may have somehow forgotten where we are and who we are. See, the problem with, uh, in the middle of all of the story, our ignoring of the land beneath us, when we refuse to engage with and connect with Te Ao Māori, we also forfeit, forfeit our own rights with our many different cultures to be fully alive. There's a spiritual dishonoring that happens when we dishonor tangata whenua and we dishonor the very treaty that allows us to be here. When we dishonor that, we also dishonor our own ability to be here. And so we live disconnected and defensive and afraid. And that's one of those things that even in the midst of this conversation, you might walk away and have your heart stirring and be in some kind of angst. Let it turn into a prayer for you. The, the presence of anguish or pain or uh, discomfort is not the absence of the peace of God, right? Sometimes it's just the stories hit us really hard and we wrestle with that stuff because we primarily want to tell good stories about who we've been as the church, which is great. We need to hear about the legends and the stories, but we need to be equally as honest about where it's gone wrong. Yeah? Amen? Hey, I just can't quite see the time here. Um, We're good? Yeah, awesome. Let me give you an example of this. In 500 AD, we have uh, the, the, the first few years of the church was what I would consider very pure. People were signing up to follow Jesus and were almost by default signing their life away. They were dying uh, in masses, being suffer- uh, they were suffering, being, being tortured. Uh, they were called Roman candles because they would light them up along the streets, set them on fire. Uh, there was, it was just a gnarly time to be alive. Uh, a man called Eusebius, who was a Christian, uh, experienced some of that persecution coming to his village, and he immediately thought, how do I help my people get out of this? And so he found a man called Constantine who was high up within the Roman hierarchy and he began to create a divine narrative around Constantine because Constantine was friendly with Christianity. So he began to tell the story of like, he's like the Moses for us, right? And Israel, we are now the new Israel, right? What's happening here? Like we're the people of God. We're the, we're the ones that are being set apart and 
God's wanting to create this empire, which was everything that Jesus did not want to do, to create an earthly empire. And they began to conquer and exploit and all of these things in God's name under the, empire, under the empirical motivation of Christendom, which is why I say that where, Christ, where, where people have been oppressed in Jesus' name, that is not Christianity, that is Christendom, right? Which is the kingdom that was established through empire. Now, we fast forward. In the 1500s, the Pope, he issued a, a decree, these decrees called the Papal Bulls to the King of Portugal, the King of Spain, and he said, go into Africa and take them captive, take them slaves as a way of punishing and saving their pagan souls. Or, or, or it was that and, and, uh, and Saracen souls. So basically anyone that was a Muslim or anyone that was other, go and take them as slaves and put them in captivity as a way of rescuing them. Now, that's a Selah moment. The European church were the first ones, not for slavery, but for race-based slavery. All right? So out of that place, the church developed what they call as Anglo-Saxon purity mythology, which was this idea that anyone of Germanic origins, which was primarily English, had superior culture, superior intellect, superior religion, and they had a responsibility to take that superiority into the world, and they were primarily identified as those with light skin, with blue eyes, and with blonde hair, or orange hair. So that's part of our story. What do we do with that? It's painful when we look at the midst of all of that. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of in Jesus' name activity, and yet in Jesus' name, so many amazing things were happening. Good rises with evil. We understand that. But if we don't tell these stories, I don't believe we'll ever be free from them. We'll just pretend like they didn't exist, which is kind of like so much of America's approach to slavery or even the indigenous people, who so many of them don't even know anything about them other than that they're in reserves and their lives are really bad. This story swam its way into Aotearoa. Now, there was good intent, not taking away some good intent, But we have to be the church that is willing to go, there's a story here that's painful and I wanna be part of its rescue. I wanna be part of the honest storytelling, the listening and the, could it be that rising above or overcoming in this land is no longer about trying to be first, but is allowing God to position her last, the church last, humble, serving, laying her life down for the sake of a nation. Only in the kingdom of God does death equal life? And that's the invitation. And that's my invitation actually this morning is will we choose the death life? Because you know what? Jesus doesn't need people defending history. He doesn't need people coming up and going, no, no, but yeah, that was bad, but these really amazing things happened, right? He needs people to be able to go that was not the heart of God. Now, the heart of God can operate where the truth is. The truth like makes babies <laughs> and those babies make babies. And before you know it, you have a community of truth tellers 
willing to engage in the story. Now, this is why it's important. Because if Elam is able to engage, which I believe you have, in this truth-telling, then you are giving every tribe and every tongue permission to be who they are called to be. And that's a beautiful thing.